Yeah, I would say that uh, cash on cash is by far the best metric that you can ever look at real estate from. You know, a lot of people, and don't get me wrong, myself included, I just bought an apartment building a couple of weeks ago and it's got $200,000 in equity in it day one. Um, so equity is important, but I think that, you know, during 2006 and seven, especially with jumbo loans and, uh, you know, um, appraisers, you know, overstating values, like everybody was so fixated on equity at that point in time, and it just was unsustainable, right? And, uh, and when the market contracted, you know, I built a brand new house in 2007 and lost 40% of my value within like an eight, nine month time frame. And when you see that, it, it just makes you really realize that it doesn't really matter how much equity you have. It matters what's your cash on cash return. How much money can I put in this and, and truly get an ROI on that money? Because, you know, in some markets, and I know some, some investors that invest in like New York, where you know, you really don't get a cash on cash return. They do play the equity game, but that market is such that it, it allows that, right? Um, that's just kind of the, the, the makeup of that market in New York. But for 90 plus percent of the country, you really better be focused on what's your cash on cash return. That's great. Could you elaborate on the cash on cash returns for, the, for those who may not understand what the cash on cash on return is? Sure, sure. So it's just a fundamental of, you know, if I put um, $100,000 into something and I get $1,000 out of it, then I got a 10% return, right? A cash on ca that, that's my cash on cash return um, on that money that I invested. That makes sense. That makes sense. That, that is definitely great. So you went through that process. You've started building it up. So how did you go about looking at properties um, saying, okay, this is the house I'm going to um, flip, or this is the house I'm going to get cash and rental income on. So how did you go about deferring which one you would do, which is property? So it, for, for us, and something that we really hone on in our program is getting clear on goals, right? So when you come in, we want to understand what's the objective. So for some people this, I love my job. I just want to make you know, more supplemental income to support my lifestyle. I want to go on trips. I want to do all these things. And so for those individuals, then it's a better focus at looking at um, wholesaling and fix and flip because that's great active income that you can do in parallel or in tandem with your, your, your job, right? Whereas there's other individuals, excuse me, who come to me and say, Brian, I really want to, I want to get out of my job. I want to retire from corporate America. I, I got to get out of here. Then we look at while active income is okay. We really look at a strategy to incorporate passive income as quickly as possible so that you can start looking at residual mailbox money. Right? So what happens is let's just say you make, you know, 40 grand a year is roughly, you know, a little over three grand a month. Um, and you needed to replace that income in order to still give you the same lifestyle that you needed, then we would look at, you know, what type of investments do you need to make on the cash flow side that you can make these one-time investments that's going to pay you residually thereafter. Does that make sense? That makes so, sense. So that's kind of high level, you know, to figure out what's the plan, what's the goal. And then from there, more specifically, as you look at deals themselves, um, you know, if I look at a deal and it has a tremendous amount of equity in it, 
then, you know, when, and just so everybody's clear that the equity is the difference between the money you have invested in it and the, the, how much is worth. Right. So when we're looking at a fix and flip, let's just say, you know, it's a $50,000 purchase it's a $50,000 rehab and it's $150,000 value. So I know I got $50,000 in equity to play with in that deal. Right. And for those reasons, um, depending on how much equity is in the deal, I may make the decision that is most advantageous to flip that deal. Or there may be not enough equity in the deal for me to get the return that I anticipate on the flip. And so for those reasons, it may be a different investor out there with a different profit margin expectation that I could wholesale that deal to. So instead of me, you know, flipping it um, at the 150, maybe I, I get it locked up at 50 and I wholesale it to somebody else for 60 and I make $10,000, they'll be all in at 110, let them go flip it for 150, right? Um, and then there may be a scenario where I say, you know what? Um, you know, the purchase and rehab is going to be, you know, uh, a hundred thousand, the house is worth 120, where there's only $20,000 in equity. That's not enough room to flip the house, but with $20,000 in equity, I'm going to look at this hundred thousand dollar investment. If I can make a thousand bucks a month on this hundred thousand and I'm making a 12% return, then does that make sense for me? to put the hundred thousand here and make that kind of cash on cash return. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So, so that, that's just kind of the process of evaluation. <clears throat> but again, I think that more importantly is, is getting clear on what the goal is. Like, what do you really want to accomplish out of real estate investing? And then it's easier to reverse engineer, you know, the process by which you get there. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. And I know like a lot of investors are, in our real estate investment, they had like a specific rule, like the 1%, 2%. Is there any specific rule that you follow in Pacific or? Uh, well, so we, we encourage our students, at least on their flips, to, you know, look at 25 plus percent um, cash on cash returns. Because typically, once you add in financing, because we teach you how to do it with, without having any money or credit, right? But by evaluating a deal from a pure cash on cash return perspective, if the deal works at 25 plus percent cash on cash return, more often than not, it also work once you add in financing and fees associated with the cost of money to where the deal is still profitable for you as well. So that, that's one of our sticklers. And then, you know, short of that, it's, it's just unique to the investor. You know, for me to do a flip at this point in my career, you know, I mean, <laughs> my number is a little bit different in terms of what my expectations are than somebody that's coming in and getting into the business. Um, because for me, it's, it's, it's just a function of my time that's invested and my energy that's invested in something. Um, and that all, that changes, right? Over 15 years, that's changed quite a bit for me. Uh, but, you know, I, I do identify with the 1% the rule. I get it in theory. And, but to be honest, even on my rentals, like I'm looking for something way better than 1% return. You know what I'm saying? Um, but that is a good baseline for people if they didn't have nothing to go off of. That's great. That's great. And I want to go back to something you said earlier in terms of like um, like markets. Like you said, New York market is kind of hard to kind of do flips, you know, compared to other markets. So how do you go about 
choosing a market, finding a market, okay? This is a market, especially now, which everything is on an all-time high and people yeah. are selling houses. How how can someone, you know, say, okay, I'm going to go to this place and start investing? That's a really good question. So we, uh, we teach you inside the course or the mentorship program how to find markets and then how to identify markets within those markets. So, um, and there's a tool, I'll give it out for free. It's bestplaces.net. And inside of that, once you know how to use it, there's a lot of data uh, that's collated there to tell you specifically what markets you should be in, what ARVs inside those markets you should be approaching. Um, It's a lot of data there, but you gotta know what you're looking for, right? The site is free, which is why I gave it out. But it's still you still need to know what you're looking for because it's it could be information overload because it's a lot of data there and so you need to know specifically what metrics should you be looking at in order to make those determinations. But it's it's not a guessing game and I'm glad you asked that question. You shouldn't. I mean, to some degree, just based on relationship with people in certain placements throughout the country, you may say, you know what, my, my homeboy live in Atlanta. I always wanted to like look at stuff in Atlanta. Maybe he can help me. Like, I think that's a good enough starting point, but then we have a responsibility to drill in and make sure we're making decisions based on data and not just arbitrarily the fact that, you know, we, we like a market, if that makes sense. That makes sense. That, that definitely makes sense. Um, so that leads us to my next question. You know, what, is, what are your thoughts on the current market? Like, where do you see the market going? You know, a lot of people think it's in a bubble. A lot of people think, you know, the time for it to pull down lumber at that all time high, um, and things are getting very expensive. Yeah, I, uh, I I think that what we see right now is a, a byproduct of pure economics. Um, you know, economics one on one is supply and demand. Right now, there is a shortage of supply, and whenever demand is higher than supply, then I mean prices will increase. Right? That's purely what we see right now. It's not that the market the, the market is hot, but is hot relative to the fact that there's a shortage. Whenever there's a shortage, then there's, you know, an increase. And whenever there's a surplus, prices will come down. And so, you know, once these rent moratoriums are lifted, which that just got pushed back again, um, and these forbearances, I think we're going to see a healthy diet of inventory hit the market to the tune of a couple million properties over the next six months. And when that happens, while I don't think that it's going to grossly affect every market. I think some markets are, are going to be grossly affected to a point where prices are going to come down in a lot of cases. And I think as a whole, you know, it'll kind of balance out the market that we'll see prices start to normalize um, in a lot of places. And then to answer you, the other part of that, hyperinflation is happening right now. The media keeps telling us that it's not, which if you're paying attention, anything the media tells you, you should always go the opposite yeah. way. Um, hyperinflation is happening as we speak and it has to because we're just printing money, right? We, we got a fiat currency. It's not attached to anything. Um, and so, you know, hyperinflation is happening. What I can tell everybody is you got a couple of different choices. You can lose, you can leave your money in the bank and lose, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% of its value. Or you can park that money into assets. I like real estate. It's a tangible asset I have more control over. And you can hedge against inflation. So if inflation goes up 
you know, typically year over year is two to three percent. It goes up this year, eight to ten. Why? What do you invest your money in in order to get at minimum an eight to ten percent return? Well, real estate is a great place to do that, and that way you can hedge against the cost of goods and all the rest of it. But if you if you leave your money in a bank, then you're going to lose the the value of your money um, is going to decrease significantly. No, you're hundred percent right. So